Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome, everybody, to the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. I am Dale Luganbill. Thank you very much for joining me. My guest today is a repeat from a couple years ago. Uh, I had Adam Van Tassel on, and at the time, he uh, was only the owner of Birch Forest Lodge on Pelican Lake in Orr, Minnesota. And I was just up there. If you've listened to my current recap and rant, you'll hear all about my trip. Uh, yeah, so I met up with him, and we recorded another one. And in the time, not only is he running that resort, uh, because, you know, that's not challenging enough, he decided to pick up another resort in freaking Belize, so, yeah, can you believe that? Oh, my God, dad joke for the win. Uh, um, it's called Cotton Tree Lodge. Um, everybody should go check it out. It's CottonTreeLodge.com. I'll put a link in the uh, notes here, show notes. But this place is cool, man. Um, and it was kind of cool how we bobbed and weaved and kind of went back and forth to jungle, northern Minnesota, Northern Minnesota jungle, like saltwater fishing, freshwater fishing. So like we kind of, we, we jumped all over the place, but it wasn't really chaotic. It like, it was natural. So, I mean, it, it was pretty cool to compare the two places and get kind of the ups and downs. Of course, you know, the he that shall not be mentioned or the, the virus that shall not be mentioned played a big role in all this. And we talk about that a little bit, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. And uh, pretty interesting for him to take on this new endeavor. And I think you guys are going to enjoy hearing all about it. So let's get to it. This is the Full Scale Outdoors podcast with Adam Van Tassel from Birch Forest Lodge and Cotton Tree Lodge. Oh, here we go, boys. that sound this is a good one yeah so my sister was looking at the pictures of the jack the trevallis and she didn't know what those were but jack trevally she's like that's a mouthful for a fish name I'm like well, it's you ever caught one called. i have yeah they're one of my favorite fish to fish for um those and snook but the crevalli they get so aggressive once you hit one of them <laughs> they uh they're not subtle no no they're not subtle <laughs> the stri- the strike isn't subtle no the fight isn't subtle there there's nothing subtle about them i was actually just watching a 
saltwater experience episode where they were catching them on the flats in Florida. And they had a just ripping like a there's no hooks on it, just a plug. And there's just you reel, reel, reel as fast as you can, and there's like a dozen of them just all fighting for it and knocking it out of the water and everything else. That's the funny thing about them is that once you have one of them on, the others try to take the hook from them. Yeah. It's every jack for themselves, man. They just yeah. go, they just go crazy. So yeah. what, that's now I should, in, I suppose we should introduce you. This is your second time on the full scale outdoors podcast. The owner of cotton tree lodge, but also birch forest lodge here in the state of Minnesota. Yep. Beautiful Pelican Lake. And uh, yeah. So thanks Adam for coming back on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure. Uh, but yeah, we let, let's get into the cotton tree because last time we last year I was up here we didn't have time to podcast but we did I did stop by and we talked about it but our listeners aren't privy to that and you've had some drama. <laughs> oh, we've only with, had drama <laughs> <laughs> with the uh, really bad timing with COVID. Did not did not help. Nope, didn't help. So we bought the place in August of 2019, and you know we ran the numbers, we looked at the paperwork, and it looked like a great idea. The proposition was to run one lodge for six months of the year in Minnesota and one lodge for six months of the year in Belize. Always be in warm water. Always be able to fish year-round. Sounds good so far. <laughs> so it sounded really good. And we got there in November, uh, no, October. And, you know, then we had to deal with the months of upkeep that wasn't done. And so we got it going. We worked on it. By November, we started getting people in. Uh, December, business picked up. By January, we were slammed full. Well, that's and good. so, you know, the wife and I were looking at each other You're saying, like, oh, yeah, we got this. this. Is working. High fives all around. <laughs> and uh, I went to a show. I got into the uh, um, Safari Club International yep. circuit, which is what I'd consider more high-end fishing and hunting mm-hmm. groups. Uh, it's $350 to walk in the door of one of those shows. It's not like going to the Minneapolis sports show. And, wow. You know, it's 10 bucks to enter, 8 bucks if you can bring right. in a can of something to donate. So, yeah, it's 300 some dollars to get in. So, they're a little more serious about their buying. And I got there, and I was there for three days in Reno, and I sold $54,000 of fishing trips in three days. Nice. And I called the wife and said, hon, we got this made. You know, let's start talk about what the next step is. And uh, so we have a profit-sharing plan with our staff down there, and we're getting ready to do the first profit-sharing split on March 1st. <laughs> and we all know what happened in March of 2020. <laughs> and then that happened. So, yeah, it happened. Uh, we almost got stranded in Belize as they shut down borders, and we were scrambling, and we had, you know, $100,000 plus in trips reserved for the rest of March and April. And we were refunding left and right, and people oh. were calling credit cards, and there was this term I didn't know about called force majeure. Where you can claim that you purchased something you had no option to get to, and your credit card, you know, with the pandemic, they were just canceling everybody. So oh, wow. it didn't matter if you refunded or not, they, you were refunding. So that was a pretty rough start. And uh, yeah, we were shut down for a year, and then they reopened, well, a little less than a year, I guess. They reopened this past year, and we tried to get going again. And then they announced the new travel restrictions in January, and that killed us again this year. But uh, we have been able to get going a little bit this spring. We've had quite a few groups come in this summer. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's slowly going. We have 23 people on site right now, actually. Down there? Yeah. I was going to ask, is it open in the Oh, uh, We are going to shut down on August 1st. Because they're winter, right? Uh, no, no, same hemisphere as us. It's mm. northern hemisphere. Oh, it is northern. Just hemisphere. barely. That's right. But right on the equator. So yeah, it, it, it doesn't there matter. There is no summer no. or winter. The only thing that matters <laughs> there is rain. 
Ah, uh, the rainy, rainy season, season. The monsoons. So in hurricane season, which for us in this hemisphere is June through November, but really it's August, September, and October. And the Gulf Stream comes across Belize there and hits that outside reef, and it pulls the warm water north. So hurricanes almost never hit Belize. They like to funnel them right into places like Louisiana, Cuba, and Florida. Right. So Belize gets very little actual hurricane damage, but they do get the, the rain as it comes by. And last week, we had a rainstorm come by from a hurricane, and the river came up eight feet overnight. Wow. So, yeah, wow. we're, we're learning some hard lessons on everything. I don't think we'll operate in August, September, and October in the futures. Maybe not July as well as what we saw the river do last week. So normally we plan on being open from November through June. Again, it was all paper. Now, you know, we're learning a lot of right, right, right. real-life lessons. And how does that work running a resort up here and there at the same time? Well, down there's a different operation. So let's first cover what we do here. Here at the resort, we have a whopping five of us. <laughs> Myself, my wife, our 14-year-old daughter, our 11-year-old son, and our 5-year-old son. Yay for child labor. Okay, yeah. So the, it's, a, it's a family <laughs> operation. We do everything except for Saturdays. We do bring some people into clean cabins with us on Saturday. Otherwise, there's five of us. I mean, I left to come over here, and my 11-year-old was cleaning the fish house and hauling the fish guts, and the 14-year-old was getting on the four-wheeler to go collect garbage at the cabins, and you know, it's just the way we do it. Right. Down there is different. They have a lot of labor laws there. Like they're serious about their labor laws there. I, as the owner of the business, cannot work. Really? Yeah, I don't have a work permit. And there's a phone number you can call if you see your, well, I'm just going to say it. You see your white boss working, who you assume does not work permit, you can call, and they will come and take away, they will penalize you heavily. They're trying to protect the local jobs there. They okay. want the labor and They want jobs. you to have to hire people. They want you to force to hire. So we're allowed to do the marketing because that's online. It's okay. U.S.-based. And there's no one trained to do it. I'm not taking a job from anybody. And my wife's allowed to do the accounting. You know, that's our backgrounds, right? So we do that part, but I don't mow the lawn. I do Dang. that here plenty, right? <laughs> I don't feed the animals. So, yeah, anyway, Dang. what I'm saying is <laughs> down there we have 18 full-time employees okay. who we've kept employed this entire time. And uh, in theory, if we were to get busy, we'd have to get a few more. But right now we have 18 people, which, you know, with a year and a half of almost no income, that's plenty of people to keep employed. Is there, like, some gray areas, like, what considered work in that? I mean, like, if you're, I mean, schmoozing the customers, right? Like, oh yeah, I talk drinks to the customers. or anything like that? or I like... have been known to get drinks for people in the past. Okay. Uh, there, there's some things. You just got to be a little bit careful what you do. Right. Don't pick up the weed whacker. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it just is what it is. Um, sure, I'll, I'll run a shuttle van once in a while for somebody. A lot of people there can't read and they can't drive. So if you get into a jam, you're like, look, there's no driver. They're going to let you go on that part. Sure. But everyone can run a weed whacker. Right. Everyone can wash dishes. So there's just certain things you can't stuff do. Stuff like so, that. Okay. Shoot. General labor stuff. I cannot wash dishes there. My, my kids never complain about that one. Dang it. Yeah, right. Shucks. So down there, we've got a full <laughs> operation going, and uh, it's a 100-acre property. We've got the 15 units, and our staff consists of uh, chefs, and they're legit chefs, uh, bartenders for the bar, servers, dishwashers we have a an organic farm to table operation so we've got gardeners and farmers we have livestock as well as the you know vegetable garden all the fruits we have over 500 fruit trees on the property uh-huh. so the juices that we're making for breakfast and the limes in the bar those are all being grazed on site um, it's That's a awesome. it's an operation i mean i didn't know there was four types of mangoes there's probably more but there's four on my oh, wow. property i didn't know i didn't know that either yeah, i didn't know there's multiple types of limes we have limes that grow bigger than grapefruits what? So you make juice when you make lime. You use the big ones. If you want the tartar, you know, the, the sour, little ones, okay. little ones for your for uh, mixing up your drink, you got smaller. Anyway, they got them all. They huh. got different types of oranges and things as well. So, yeah. 
Um, you know, you got the housekeepers, you got the maintenance guys, you got the grounds crew. So it's a, it's a full blown operation. So I don't actually have to be there in person for it to operate. I go there because I can't work anyways. Right, can't work anyways. <laughs> so when I go there, I don't work. What do I do? I fish, I swim, I go kayaking. <laughs> oh man, this sounds I, I terrible. Just, I get to go out and do this. <laughs> you know, they're gonna take a snorkeling group, and I said, oh, how many we got today? Oh, you got two spots open. Well, let, one of my kids will go with you with me, and we're gonna go snorkeling for the day because well, the boat's going. Right. There's room. Why so, not? Someone's got to take the pictures for the website. True. You know, you can't sell fishing trips if you don't know where the fish are. That's right. That's right. So, yeah. that's got to have a baseline. It's it's uh, marketing research. Marketing research. There you go. And it's just a different setup there. We're not as worried about some of the stuff. Sure. So, for us, as a lifestyle-wise, it's, it's very different. We, we literally relax over there. You'll find me in the hammock next to the beach you know, where our dock area is just chilling, reading a book. You'll never see that here in Minnesota. Right. <laughs> well, and th- I... I have to assume that that's like uh, that had to be hard for you at first. Like it's not like on the surface, most people are like that sounds like a dream job. But when you're used to running a resort up here or just being any kind of entrepreneur in America, it's like it's go 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 go. And then to be down there and to literally not be able to do anything has got to be a little like yeah, it takes a shift in your, your thinking. <laughs> Um, I think I had to come to grips with what we were doing down there and why we wanted to keep people employed and how important that was to them. We got to know the people uh, a lot better. We've been in their homes and we've seen, you know, we're not, th- these are poor people. We're gonna put out. They're, they're yeah. destitute at times. Um, and you don't want to take their jobs from them. They're great people. They work hard. So there's no need for that. So if you understand that and then you kick back and you say, hey, look, I got these great kids and you know, we don't fish that much in Minnesota together because I'm always working. Right. Let's do it here. And yeah, that's true. For Christmas, you know, we paddle up the river a couple miles and just exploring, looking for howler monkeys and parrots and animals and different things. And there's a, a hill by us that our family's convinced is an uncovered Mayan ruin. It's like perfect equilateral triangle. Oh, rises way probably right is 100%. It's all by itself. And they're, they're finding all these ruins everywhere, all over Central America right now. So the kids like exploring that sort of thing. So we do. We get out. And the tours are gone in the daytime. And I find that the people are outside. You know, they're on their fishing trip. They're on their Mayan ruin tour. Well, it's easy to go play. No one's around watching. And then when they come back, they're ready to relax. And they're having a cocktail. So we join them. We sit back. And I'll get myself a orange soda or something like that. And they're having a, a rum cocktail. And they tell me about the day. And we t- tell stories and it's not too bad you get used to it I, be, I bet you can get used to it the first time is probably a little like this feels weird and then you probably like yeah i'm okay with this yeah you get used to it <laughs> i earn it i mean i work yeah is all that full time the summer is so. that mount is that on the property no it's just off oh, the property dang it. well even yeah well, i was like you can, i mean i was like you could do something with that like you could have it probably is oh yeah like probably. start start digging on it and if you find something that like you could my brain went to be kind of a fun thing to bring guests there and like help excavate you know like help like yeah they're finding and dig a little bit more out and people could be a part of that it'd be kind of cool they're finding thousands of these ruins across central america all the time yeah they're using that and they're using uh lidar, LIDAR now lidar yep. that's correct and they're shooting through that thick canopy and they're finding mexico and guatemala gridded are cities open uh, allowing them to do that and they're promoting it belize is not they have not used any lidar yet oh, in belize wow. so everything's still running on an assumption but you get the same idea because i've traveled through guatemala and mexico quite a bit and you go there and you see this the size of the mountain you see the shape of it you look at belize mm-hmm. you're like huh these are identical right and they're by themselves so yeah. it's not like it's one mountain amongst a bunch bunch of mountains no it's, it's and it's an- quite astonishing how many they're finding like 
to the point of starting to rewrite human history a little bit. They're like, okay, people were here a lot longer. A lot longer. Go than they we were, thought they were. They were a healthier, more advanced civilization. Far more advanced thought. than we think. Oh, yeah. yeah. You go to these ruin sites, and they have these stella that come up out of the ground they've carved. And you can't read them anymore because the, the hieroglyphics are mm-hmm. not hieroglyphics. That's Egyptian. But anyway, the symbols, the symbols are worn away. They're called glyphs in mine, by the way. Mm-hmm. The glyphs are all worn away, but they can figure out what they're for because they have figured out that the shadows on the stella move, and they know exactly when the solstice is. Yeah. They know exactly when the equinox is, and they have these rocks between them. And the Mayans still use them. They say, well, when the shadow hits here, this is when we plant our corn. When it hits here, this is when we harvest. And you hit here, this is when we harvest our thatch because there's the least amount of resin in thatch at a certain time of year, mm. so it's less flammable. And your hardwoods, your mahogany, if you cut it during this time of year, there's more resin in the hardwood, so therefore the termites don't get it on your houses. I mean, they were brilliant with wow. what they had going on. That's one example of their advanced science they had down there. And I do believe it was a, a science. If you start talking about any time you find stuff like that, whether it's Egypt or in Turkey, like Quebec with Tepe, and all these new cities and temples they're finding in Central and South America, and how they're like lined up with the planets and the stars and constellations to an amazing degree of accuracy. And then we're supposed to believe that these are like basically hunter-gatherers, savages. savages. Like, there's no way. No way. There's no way. Like, and to the point, they must have had telescopes of some sort because the, there's been diagrams around the world that show the solar system with Pluto included. Like, you yeah. can't see Pluto with the naked eye. I don't care even if there wasn't any light pollution. Like, you're not seeing that. How did they know it was there? Yeah, they're brilliant people. And uh, we still get to live in that world and see a lot of the things they had. Um, the sad part is when you live there, you see the contrast from what you know it used to be oh, to what yeah. it is today. Crazy. But I think it's humbling, too, to know that that could happen again Yes. at any moment. Yes. One rock from the, the heavens, asteroid, comet, super volcano, any number of things could happen that would uh, we as humans like to marvel at our own. I mean, you technology want technology and advancement, but li- I mean, it takes literally a second to wipe it all away. Yeah, and you know, earlier we were just chatting a little bit about technology and advancement they had. So the Mayans invented chocolate, right? That is straight from Central America, first culture to ever have chocolate. And you got to ask yourself, how do they? How does a new food come up with? You know, the person who invented ice cream. Okay, so they had some cream, they got it cold. And they end up with ice cream. You, your your right, brain yeah. can I mean, You have to like churn. You have to you whip have to churn it. Like but you can you can walk through, yeah, right? Right. So right. chocolate is a fruit. Uh, it has a hard shell. If you puncture the shell, you can smell an aroma that does not smell like chocolate. So to make chocolate, you have to take the fruit. You got to get the fruit off the bean. Then you got to dry the bean. You got to ferment the bean. It has to hit a certain temperature. <laughs> Once you get to this, then you've got to roast the bean, then you've got to shell the bean, then you've got to grind the bean into a paste. Like, I cannot figure out how How they figured figured all all that out out. to get to the point that we have chocolate. And it's a great process. I've seen it done hundreds of times now because, you know, they have all this tourist stuff that they do down there. They show you how chocolate's made. It's one of my favorite things to do. And we we make chocolate on our own property now. We make our own hot chocolate. We make chocolate for our chocolate cakes. Way better than what we have here. I bet. I can only imagine. And, uh, but you have to ask, how did they get there? But again, it's a testament to what they had going, the civilizations right. there. They had to have some sort of science, chemistry, something to figure all that stuff out. Oh, yeah, the out. fermentation process alone. Right. It's amazing. They've tried to mechanize chocolate, and they've messed up 
because you have to mix fermentation by hand a little bit to get the right bacteria. It's like wine. Mm -hmm. had the same problems. We mechanized wine too much. We, we mess up the fermentation process. Chocolate's the same. The Mayans knew this. That's crazy. Brilliant. And one of the things, like, before we started recording you, um, that I didn't know, so I'm assuming a lot of people that know that the flesh of the bean or the cocoa is yeah, edible. Cacao like flesh, the fruit. Is, is, the fruit is very edible. We like it. We make juices out of it. You can make wines out of it. My five-year-old, I was showing you a picture earlier, he loves fresh chocolate. He walks around. So it grows. The pods are green. And then you kind of watch them. They turn a little yellowish color, and you can tell when they get ripe. And you go pick them, and then you crack them open, and he just sits there and walks around and pops his mouth. and <laughs> Spits he, the seeds. He spits the seeds out, <laughs> which is the valuable part. That's the funny thing. <laughs> so he does all the time. We have over 200 uh, cacao trees on our property down there. Is so. there a coffee down there? There's some coffee. Coffee needs to have a uh, little less humidity and more elevation generally. Oh, okay. So in parts of Belize, you have higher elevation. Yes, you have coffee. And they're a very similar process. They just take a little different elevation. Yeah, they look similar. They do look similar. Yeah. There's a lot of similarities to it. So we don't grow any coffee on site. We're too wet. And is there caffeine in chocolate? Very, very little. I thought Minuscule. there was a little bit, yeah. It's a different, you know, it's not like the caffeine additive that we put well into my Mountain Dew. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's a natural, it breaks down differently. So the Mayan warriors used to munch chocolate beans before they'd go into battle to get a little bit of a surge and a kick, but it doesn't mm. fall off the way caffeine does. Sure. There's not that let down. No crash. There's no crash on it. So yeah, it was secrets of the Mayan. One of the things they used was chocolate. Yeah, I don't, that, I could, I could talk about this stuff for hours. I'd like, I am fascinated with prehistory. Oh yeah, well, come down to Belize sometime with this, and we'll hang. I need to, I need to get down there somehow. It looks amazing. You brought your book here, and I'm like looking through the pictures, and I'm like, oh, jacks and bonefish, and oh yeah, Buddha, permit, yeah, fishing's uh, amazing. Cichlid, I think I saw in there. That that's more of a freshwater or brackish water fish. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. He, we we fish all of them. We fish the freshwater. We're on a river, so we're on the Moho River, so we get the opportunity to fish the freshwater. And some of your saltwater fish will come up in a freshwater. So like right. snook, yep. snook can do yep. both. And so we get a fish to snook in the river, and people take their kayaks. They can fish them on their own, or we take, you know, the we charter the boat and go fishing for them. So we fish freshwater, and we fish brackish. And sometimes a year, they're going to be different. You know, mm -hmm. your brackish will be better sometimes. The moon cycle is a big factor here. And then we go out in the flats, and we fish saltwater flats and the reefs and whatnot. We don't personally fish with our guides that we use the deep water, you know, marlin and things sure. like that. Right, right, it's just right, too right, far right. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How far out, How far upstream are you? So uh, by water, we're eight miles inland. It's only okay. five miles as the crow flies, but, you know, we were winds and turns. And Is, are you affected by tides at all? A little bit, up? yes. Just a little bit? So we get a factor of about 10 inches a day. That's so it's, it's more enough. than Florida. Yeah, it, it surprises <laughs> people how much we get. And, again, it, is, it depends on the moon. You know, a full moon versus a new moon, sure. we're going to have a completely different tide. So we have a dock down there, and sometimes you'll walk down, your the dock is ankle-deep underwater, and sometimes it's six inches out of the water. <laughs> and the kids laugh. And the, we have a rope swing, so my kids don't even use the dock. They just <laughs> launch out. <laughs> so. I mean, why not? Right, right. If you have a fire pole, you're going to use it. Yeah. Whether there's a stairs right there or and not. And it's a great rope swing. You can do a full <laughs> flip off. You know, it's nice. Plenty of... Any caimans? No. So Belize is covered in crocodiles, as is most of Central America. However, the river we're on is an anomaly. There are no crocodiles in our river. Huh. And they send scientists twice a year up the river to try to figure this out. Now, I have a, a theory that is completely unscientifically proven, but I've talked to people down there, and they agree this could be something. So the theory is, and the local rumor slash legend is, there was a killing at some point. A crocodile killed somebody important. 
way back, thousand years ago in the Mayan world, chief's daughter or something, right? Mm -hmm. And the Mayans went out with extreme prejudice and killed every crocodile they could in the entire region, like smashing Just eggs. Extirpated the entire they, local population. The entire, so, because they can find evidence that thousands of years ago there were crocodiles in this area. There's none now. Now, 40 miles away from us, there's crocodiles again in all the rivers. Hmm. So why is there none by us? Nobody knows. They keep checking. They keep thinking, well, someday. You think, yeah, you think they would spread, gonna spread out. They're going to spread, but yeah. they haven't. Whatever it is, we're grateful. There's no crocodiles, no piranhas. Everyone always asks us that, too. Oh, well. There's no yeah. piranha in, in Belize. Crocodiles, there are. Many, many rivers. And you see the locals. You go on a river, and you look over. Like, there's a crocodile. That one's nine foot, and there's 11 foot. Or, oh, there's a kid swimming. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and they have these canoes. That they they're called Mayan dories, and they're these low-level logs. They've you know they've carved out the middle yep, of it. Yep. And you see path, and the freeboard's like three inches. It's not like our canoes; they ride out of the water. But mm -hmm. these things are mostly under the water. They're super tippy, too. and they're super tippy, yeah. and they're super slow, and they go right by the crocodile. <laughs> it makes me nervous watching them. <laughs> Fortunately, I don't see that in my own river because we don't have the crocodiles. Yeah. So what would be the is there what would be the dangers down there? Snakes. Um. Belize is like places like Florida. It is theory to have snakes out there. Yeah. Uh, like Florida, snakes are not going to want to be somewhere where there's any sort of development. So on our property of the resort, we don't have the snake problem. But sure, you would go in the bush, you out there, you could find a snake. Yeah, it is probably every pit vipers out there. Every Mayan villager's got some story about great grandpa <laughs> one time who you know saw a snake sort of thing, and they tell their kids. And that was one of the great things about our kids going to public school there was they heard those stories. And I wanted them to be scared right, enough have to a not healthy fear yeah, of the jungle. Don't walk barefoot in jungle. And they tell – it's kind of like here, right? So here everyone, we, we talk to people and they're like, wait, you live where? Don't you have wolves and bears? <laughs> right. And yeah. we laugh. You're right. Yeah. Like, yeah, yes, we, we do. We do. But well, we don't really worry about it. We, right. we know kind of thing. Like you don't walk to the bus stop. If you're, you know, yeah. we had, we've seen wolves and we had a neighbor one time call us a few years ago and say, Hey, we just saw a wolf in our driveway. Okay. Well, we walked out the bus stop with our kids because wolves are not going to want to come around a group of people. Mm -hmm. Even if they were crazy and going to go after a small child, which, you know, theory of a predator, small, unhealthy, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just life up here. And I mean, it just doesn't happen. It doesn't I mean, happen. It's just so rare that even. It's like the flip side there. That's with snakes though. Right. And to them, that's a normal life. And they tell their kids, you don't walk barefoot in these parts of the jungle. Well, what about the rest of the parts of the jungle? Well, that's okay. You know, they're like, well, <laughs> yeah. well that I fine. still put my shoes on, though. Yeah, I don't know that I would want to walk barefoot in the jungle. Just there's bugs. I mean, like, yeah, bugs. Ants. Like thorns. You get a, you get a plant you step yeah. on. And they all know, like, you know, when they when they um, rake up their brush or their leaves, if they don't pick it up in the same day and you get a little pile – they don't reach under their hands to pick up brush because something might have crawled under it. Mm -hmm. That's just normal life right, for them. That's where so things hide. Yeah, there's always dangers in every part of the world. So I mean, I ask is not sort of a danger. Like I would be the one to go out on one of these jungle tours. Like I want to see a snake today. Like let's find the viper. Let's let's find the vipers. I'm that guy. Like so I we have <laughs> we have a couple tours that we do where we try to find animals. We do a nighttime jungle hike where we go in the middle of the night oh, through the that jungle. That would be super cool. And you're trying to find uh, tapers. You know the mountain. Jaguar. Yeah, well, that one, that, that one would see you so far before you. You're never you, going to see, gonna see him. I know. Um, we see prints once in a while. And when you get out in the jungle, and some of the hikes we go on in the daytime, and, of course, the guides are taught, look for things like prints because everyone mm -hmm. wants to see them. And so they'll look at the print, and you'll try to see how dry it is. When did it pass through? Because it's, it's in the world that, that we live in down there. And, yeah, people always want to see a snake. Uh, last year, we were able to find a small boa constrictor one time. The guest was so excited. The guide worked so hard. It's funny because they, they think the snakes are everywhere, and we're out there looking. Right. The animals we do see are monkeys. 
Oh my goodness. Howler monkeys. I don't know if you know much about Howler monkeys, Dale, but that's the animal they record for the Jurassic Park movies. Okay. Oh, they're they're roars. The Indominus Rex in the Jurassic Park movies based upon a howler monkey. Howler monkeys are only about 18 inches tall in their main body. Uh, They're the second loudest mammal on the planet. Only the African elephant has a higher decibel rating. Only the female human when when <laughs> irritated. Yeah, and that one too. <laughs> so uh, they have these howler monkeys, and they're crazy loud. They sound like dinosaurs fighting in the jungle, and they're roaring. They're, the troops will, will get each other riled up to, for, over territory. So we go out and try to find the monkeys, the parrots, the toucans, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, snakes were not very successful finding them. I don't really complain about that one because I think we'd have a lot of things. Um, <laughs> but people always ask. The three things they want to know about are the S's, the scorpions, the spiders, and the snakes. Anybody who's been somewhere like Florida knows that, you know, it's warm. You're going to find that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, spider-wise, we do see a lot of tarantulas. They're a nocturnal animal. They come out. They're harmless. And uh, if you go in the jungle certain places, you can figure out where the tarantulas are moving around at night. So, yeah. Sometimes people want to see that. Most guests don't want to. Right, yeah. So we don't take them on that. Pretend they don't exist. We don't take them on that hike. You don't, you don't take them on uh, evening scorpion hunts with black lights? No. We, the scorpions are much harder to find. Uh, in the two winters I've been, because I lived down there this past winter and the previous winter, I was able to find two scorpions, and we were looking. <laughs> it's hard to find. <laughs> we were trying to so, find So, yeah. Them. We are trying to introduce a new tour this winter that we're going to do, which will be an evening river or a nighttime river cruise. So we're going to use a trolling motor, and we're going to take the boat upstream in the middle of the night with spotlights to see go. what kind of animals come out at night on the river. Because we figure if we're moving quiet, we might have mm-hmm. a chance of seeing things you wouldn't normally see. Because we do a tour on the river in the daytime using the bigger motor and move sure. all the way down to the ocean and watch the sunset and then come back. And, but that's more of a cocktail tour anyway. So, you know, some people want to see the wildlife and sort of thing. But a lot of people don't want to. They just want to relax, have a drink at the bar, have a really good meal, do some fishing, visit a ruin, and go home in seven days. The food looks good. Again, looking through your, your book there, it's like, this is legit. Like, this is some... We have like, a actually, we have a fully nice place. This yeah. isn't like eating. And no offense to Northern Minnesota here, but it's not the damn supper club right off Fifty Three. This isn't the damn supper club. Like you're, this is like a fancy restaurant. Yeah, it is a little bit more fancy. Um, that was hard for my kids to adjust to. Uh, you know, you sit at the table the first time, you get a whole bunch of people in the surround, and you hear my, I guess she was twelve at the time, say, "Why do they got two forks on the table?" <laughs> And all these, you know, a little more ritzy people <laughs> yeah. look over us like, don't you use two forks at your house? That's a salad fork and a dinner fork. Yeah, well, then you got the dessert fork you know, on the top. You know, so anyway, <laughs> there's all these forks out there, and the poor kid's trying to figure out which fork to use. Uh, yeah, it is a little bit nicer food down there. We do have a trained chef and his staff there working. We serve a four-course meal for dinner. It's uh, Dinner takes about an hour and a half to get through. But it, then again, it's dark at 6 p.m., summer sure. and winter. Yeah. So what do you do? You go to the restaurant, everyone sits down, you have dinner, you have several drinks. Uh, so people play cards and whatnot and things, but you don't have the same nightlife there going on because you're in the middle right. of the jungle. It's a long night. There's no TVs <laughs> on the property, so you're not going to sit around and watch the news or catch cool. a movie. So it's more about families. So everybody's happy because they oh, can't yeah. watch the news. They're, they're sitting down together as a family talking about life as it should be. Yeah. And they're well, having, they're, you're visiting down there, you, have, you should have no lack of things to talk about no, and new no. things that you're seeing. No, and most of the guests interact each, with each other pretty well. Yeah. And a lot of people share tables and things, and they talk. So the food's really, really good. My kids love it. They get dessert every night. And so down there, you have to realize what we're growing, too. So it's not just chocolate we're growing. We're growing vanilla. It's our vanilla cake. Oh, yeah. It's like a legit vanilla cake. Uh, We make a lime meringue pie that is kind of like a key lime, a little bit different flavor, but it's got the meringue like a lemon Mm -hmm. meringue. Oh, it's to die for. Mm. 
And then we use a hibiscus syrup that we make, drizzled over time. And the, the food's just really, really good. Getting hungry now. Yeah. Should have eaten lunch before I did this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> food's, food's really good. you got to get used to a few things in Belize. If you're out and on traveling on your own, you don't stay somewhere like our place, you can eat a lot of rice, you can eat a lot of beans, a lot of chicken. So we try to not serve rice, chicken, and beans at every meal. So we, and in the end, we end up serving a lot of fish because Oof, it seems like wrong with that. a good percentage of our customer base is fishing. And they want to eat their fish they caught every day. Yeah. So, what and what kind of fish are they bringing in to eat? Because they're not eating, uh, not eating jacks. Oh, uh, sometimes jack, jack. There's really? nothing wrong with jack, yeah, especially when it's prepared correctly. Hmm. So our chefs, you know, let's talk about first how they prepare it. Some days they do a curry with the fish. Some days they'll do a garlic lemon. Some days they fry it. Some days they do, you know, it's like beer battered fried fish there, mm-hmm. fish fingers. Uh, they'll do mackerel steaks. You know, depending on what they're doing, barracudas much better than people expect it to be. So, yeah, we'll eat jack, but generally, the best fish, in my opinion, is snook. Snook is good. Snook is really good. Your snappers are really good. Snapper. Your grouper is really good. Okay, and then your mackerel is good when it's prepared a certain way. Very oily, though. Barracuda can be oily. We usually batter that and fry that for our fish fingers. Um, That's actually the most requested one, because I think people are more used to that style of fish. More American. More Americanized. (laughs) People like that. Uh, Jack is like barracuda. We're going to usually batter that a little more. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so snook is the prime one we eat. Barracuda we do eat. The groupers, the, the snappers, Snapper. various jacks, mackerel. Um, yeah, those are generally. And a lot of that's coming from the ocean, not so much the river. I mean, snook will be in the river, but and snapper at times, I would think. Snapper at times. Um, but I, grouper, not nope, so much. Nope, nope. Grouper will be out in the ocean more. Your barracuda can come up just past the edge of the brackish. Tarpon will come up into fresh again, but tarpon, bonefish, and permit, three fish with fish for a lockdown, are all protected. No, you cannot eat can't them. can't keep them. They can't be in the boat. You're allowed to take a picture, and it goes back. That is a significant uh, infraction. Your guides will not allow that to happen because they can lose their guide license right. being caught with one. What kind of license do they need on them? Is that through Belize? Yeah. So they're, they're, Belize is actually a pretty regulated country. Uh, before I traveled to Belize, I traveled quite a bit in Mexico and Guatemala, so I was surprised I went to Belize. Surprise me, it's more expensive than the other country to travel to because it's regulated. So any of your tour guides are going to be, you know, your first aid, certification, that sort of stuff. They're going to have a wilderness, what we would call here a wilderness first aid certification level. So it's pretty serious first aid they go through. They got that training. Um, your guides are going to have to be certified in each category that they guide in. So a fishing guide is going to have a fishing guide certification. Okay. A ruin guide is going to have to pass the ruin stuff. they they got to actually be able to answer questions. Right, right. I know what they're talking about. Yeah, Belize doesn't want to be embarrassed by anything. So you've got um, driver's licenses are all regulated down there. Your boats are all inspected for seaworthiness or anything. Your hotels have fire codes. and all, you know, So they have quite a bit of regulation. That's good. good. Um, they tax all those things. You, there's a way. Um, if you fish on your own without a guide, you have to get a license. If you're with a guide, you, there are guide licenses that go under that. So it's, it's all very regulated. Mm-hmm. Belize government's trying is it for uh, locals only? Can uh, like a white guy from Minnesota get a guide license nope. down there? Dang it. Nope. It's like impossible. There goes that dream. Yeah. Dang it. So Belize. <laughs> My winters. Yeah. Belize became independent 40 years ago. They were a British uh, colony. British Honduras, what it was called. And in 1981, they became independent, September 21st, 1981. So they're a British Commonwealth now. They have the exact same status as Canada. Okay. So I still have the queen on the money, but that's about all they care. Hmm. <laughs> After that, they're very much their own thing. That's good. And uh, their legal system is based upon British common law, same as Canada, same as ours, really. 
And that's another reason why we ended up moving down there and buying land because you can. As sure. a white person, you right. go down there, you can buy land. They have a title search, exact same process as ours because it's also based on British common law, which is what ours is based on. So, yeah, and they're very regulated, very easy to understand, and they do have they have lawyers and judges and all that stuff down sure. there too. But, yeah, the fishing, I mean, it's, it makes it safe, I feel like. They are also trying to watch it for the you know, future of the fishing industry. You don't want to kill all the fish in one year. Um, so, yeah, it's it, the regulations, I think, overall yeah, good. Regulations are good. It's just, you know, no different than up here. Right. Uh, if Slot there's no regulation on, on Pelican Lake here, it would be would not nearly be as good of a fishery as it is. Sure. And it's a great fishery. I probably talk about it a little too much. I'm, I'm starting to see more and more bass boats around. I might have to dial back how much I brag about this lake. <laughs> well, we did host the uh, state championship last year last for the year high school fishing that. circuit. Yeah. Yep. It was a big deal. It was a lot Pe- of fun. People are learning. Was that a was that a um, did they get a permit to weigh fish or did was that a f- like catch measure photo tournament? It was a catch measure photo release okay. at the boat uh, tournament. They did have a permit to have the tournament here though because they had so many boats. They had so many boats. Yeah. So we had eighty six boats in the thing. I know because they did the live boat check at our resort, and they had the opening ceremony uh, both mornings at our resort, which was really cool for me to see. And I was really impressed with how well-behaved all those kids were. I was a little nervous, you know, having 86 boats. Yeah. You should see in the parking, all those parents standing around. Oh, I bet. Trying to figure out where I was going to put one more car that morning. <laughs> it was a mess. But they were very <laughs> respectful. I mean, for instance, when we did the National Anthem of the Prayer, and you have to remember a year ago we were still very much talking about kneeling during the National Anthem and all this sort of stuff. And I didn't want a controversy of any side going on there. And the tour director said, don't worry about it. Just, just It's going to be wonderful. You watch. And they get out there, and you can imagine what 86 boats noise was like and all those kids running around. And he walked out there on the microphone. It was a beautiful morning in September, not a ripple on the water. And he said, okay, let's get the national anthem. And it went so quiet. Every kid took their hat off, and they stood there so reverently, and they played Leanne Rhymes for the national anthem over the water. It was gorgeous. And then they had an opening prayer, and all the kids bowed their head for that. And, and then they got done. Everyone turned their engine back on. And it was, it was, it was That's awesome. really fun. It was, a, it was a unique picture. I will say it was not the uh, underprivileged side of Minnesota boating there. Yeah, no. <laughs> Should have seen these boats. Generally not. Uh, but those boats are, you know, they're, I assume there's volunteer captains that they have on those Yeah, boats. so there, there were schools. Mm-hmm. You know, Brainerd had a school. Uh, Grand Rapids, you know, of course, Brainerd school. Brainerd school was there. Grand Rapids school was there. Minnetonka had a, sc- had a mm-hmm. school there. Um, I know, I, uh, I knew somebody that fished it. Uh, somebody I know, and. So they obviously they're like, you got any tips? I'm like, I got all sorts of tips. How much time you got? <laughs> it, it was funny because the first day, a lot of people came in. Uh, you know, they come in a couple of days before kind of a little pre-fishing. And they're kids. And a lot of the kids were just thought they were going to do what they're going to do. And and uh, everyone checked into our resort. And we had 10, 11 cabins full of them. They didn't really want to ask any questions. And then a day or two of fishing, they came back and said, do you know anything about this lake? And I just laughed. So yeah, do you want to talk now? <laughs> and uh, it was interesting because it was tra- it was September, so we were transitioning. Fish yeah. were moving a little bit deeper off the shelves mm-hmm. and everything, and so they were wanting to a little bit more Ned rigging, a little more drop off and those things. A lot of them were prepared to fish like it was the summer, um, but it was good for them. It was really good to see those kids. They were so well behaved, and so yeah, I do think there are more people finding out about the bass fishing of this lake. Of my own clientele, at Birch Forest, we every year we have more and more bass fishermen, less of the pan fishing. Mm-hmm. Which some Which people don't like, but I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it because I would like to see the size structure of the panfish get yeah. a little better. Yeah, we for the home of the giant bluegill. There's yeah. not many giant bluegill in there. Yeah, I took my son out fishing on Monday. He's he's five and he's had some health issues recently, and 
my wife asked him, so what would make you feel better? He said, I want to go fishing with dad. So she said, you better take your boy out fishing. <laughs> it was one of those yes ma'am moments. <laughs> so we get yeah, out there. we're going fishing. We go fishing. Unfortunately, I had a boat sitting there. It wasn't rented. And uh, I said, you want to go bass fishing? Because that's what I want to do. And he says, no, I want to go bluegill fishing. And I said, really, dude? <laughs> so there I was with a bobber and a bucket of leeches. And he caught two. They're almost 10 inches. Oh, nice. Those are good ones. Yeah, it was good ones. And it was funny because there's my five-year-old who's catching decent bluegills in the home of the giant bluegill. I thought, well, maybe there is some hope for this lake. The genetics are still there. They just got to let them they gotta let them get there. And they this, there's a lot of take in this, yes. in this lake. Yeah. People, it, it's, I catch it, I want to eat it, and including the bass. And thankfully, we have up here, there's been a protective slot for 22 years. I was going to say 20 plus years. And that's what makes this lake such a great bass lake. Yeah, there's it really so has. many like two and three pounders. There's just so many of those. Yeah, we kept the weights um, for the tournament last year. Those kids, and it was interesting to see, you know, because they caught it was 986 something like that the one day. You know, and then they had all the measurements of them because they'd all. It was this great science was experiment. Was it? Was it? Um, was it a top five tournament or was it everything you catch? Was Fifteen. You had 15. A fifteen bag okay. things, which with a fifteen bag term is very different than a five bag term. Your whole <laughs> the whole dynamic whole changes. dynamic yeah. changes. I was in a little bass tournament uh, in June, I guess this year, with some guests of ours, and we did the same thing: measurement at the boat. I'm just you know in house bass thing, and we had the ten bag limit that day, and my son was ready for a five. I said, "Whoa, whoa, we actually let's you know we need some numbers here. Filling out ten is different than filling out five, so yeah, I need to yeah." I would love to be in a tournament up here. I'd probably lose just because I'd be fishing. The, the problem with fishing like lakes that you know, you fish history too much. Yeah. You're like, oh, I've caught a really big one here, and you spend way too much time there thinking that it's going to kick out a big one. I mean, you should have abandoned it. And well, that's the thing about doing a 10 or 15. Else. If you go in for 10 or 15, you can't just target the big ones. You've got to go somewhere where you know you're going to catch a bunch of fish, yeah, and then you're going to get a big one once in a while. Get your get your 15 and then call from there. Yeah. Don't worry. I lost. I took second. <laughs> One inch. It's actually two oh, years no. in a row I lost by an inch. We did it just length. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I got taken second two years in a row now. Kind of embarrassing. Well, second's not bad. But we Unless had a good time. with two people. No, no, there was more than that. <laughs> but it was my son and I together on this one. So we, it was well, first well, time. When, when is this tournament? And how, do I, how do I enter? Yeah, it's like second week of June. I think we do it. So <laughs> you have to come by sometime. Yeah, I should. I, need, I just need to. I'm, I'm actually toying with the idea We'll see. Like, I need to start advertising up here for, like, guide work and get up here. If I if I got enough bookings up here, I would find a place to just – I'd just move. I'd just live here. This is where I want to be anyways. It's Well, props to you because uh, guiding I, – I can't do the guiding. I used to do that for a couple of summers, almost 20 years ago, and, uh, they, uh, and it just stressed me. I was always worried. I, I would count fish in my head and – I would always be dividing number of fish by how much they were paying me, and I just stressed out over it. I didn't it. have to count. Like, I took my, my nephew, and this is, like, the only time a year they fish, and uh, he's 12, I think, and uh, he really, you know, he'd been fishing and with my brother out of the pontoon, which isn't exactly the same yeah. thing because there's no trolling <laughs> motor on, you know, I got the bass boat, and it's much more maneuverable, whatever. So it was just him and I the other night take out, like, let's, I, I guided him. I'm like, I didn't even really fish much. I was just like, you know, I, I did a little bit. As he was doing something, I would, like, play around with different techniques just to see if we stumbled upon a bite that was going better than when I just had him on a wacky rig, you know, a weighted wacky rig. And then we got on this one island. It was just, it was hot. 
I mean, it was just going. And he was doing the counting. Like every fish, oh, I've got five. Now I want to catch six. All right, well, let's go for six. And sure. Once he got to a dozen, I'm like, all right, I'm fishing now. Sure, sure. <laughs> so then we both started fishing. But we got him all the way up to 26, and he caught some pretty nice ones in there too. He was having a ball. That's the most fish he's ever caught. He was just living life. And that was just in an afternoon. I think we were out for a total of five hours. The first two spots, I don't. I think we only maybe caught one fish. And it was basically one particular island we just kept circling. That's where the vast majority of our fish came. And I bet we caught 60 fish in about two hours. And it was just lights out. So much fun. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. So, you know, different fishermen handle those moments so differently. And in my world as a resort owner, I see all the time. And so you get, you know, your walleye guy, he goes out there, right? And every day, every evening, I'm down in that dock. He'll come and I say, how was your fishing? The walleye guy. He says, oh, you know, it was pretty good. We, um... We got a few eaters, you know, we didn't limit, uh, but it was, it was a pretty good day. We brought in four. <laughs> and you got your bluegill guy, and you're like, how many did you guys catch? How was your day? He goes, oh, we caught like uh, 50. It was only could keep 11 because of size between the two of us. But, you know, we caught like 50. It was a pre- I've had better. And you get your bass guy, and you say, how was your day? And like, oh, it was, you know, we, we caught like 30 each. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's been okay. But then yeah, my right. favorite... Uh, my favorite fishermen in the world are lake trout fishermen and musky fishermen. They're yeah. identical. We got we, one. We don't have anything on this lake. No, no, <laughs> that, that's the best thing. I'm. So the the resort I used to manage for here was a lake trout lake, and they'd come in. You say, "How was your day?" And they go, "Oh man!" They get you know their voice just starts coming <laughs> up in pitch. Say, it was amazing today. We saw one. <laughs> and in my mind, I I, I think <laughs> to myself, "You got one. skunked." Yeah. No, they no, saw they one. Saw one. We had a follow. That's my yeah, favorite the line. Yeah. The muskie and the yeah. lake trout guys, they're, they're identical in their way they do that. Thousand but, casts. We <laughs> saw one. But it makes sense if anybody's ever done it. Like, I used to be big time into muskie fishing, and it and it's really all you need because you get the adrenaline rush. You see that giant fish, and you're just like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. Is he going to hit it? Is he going to hit it? He doesn't hit it. And even if he doesn't hit it, you're still like, that was awesome. Yeah. Like, that thing was so huge. So, so in the ocean, we, excited. we have the same thing there, but it's with permit. I mean, mm. permit fishing, that's a whole different world. And you do. You see the same things changing, but it just depends on what they're fishing for and where they're fishing. So, the truck is really loud. Yeah. Ice delivery there. Is that um, – are they fly fishing mostly for those permit? Or are they yeah, using y- live crabs and stuff? Um, mostly fly fishing. So your fly fishermen, they generally want to fish for permit, tarpon, and bonefish. Mm-hmm. And the guys who want to catch, you know, 30 to 40 fish, fly fishing, they're going to fish bonefish. Bonefish fight great pound for pound. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you're talking a big bonefish is, you know, 20 inches, 22 inches. That's a really big bonefish. But they're fun. And you're going to go out and you're going to catch 30 or 40. And the fly fishing is tough as well because you, the, the cost of the boat, when you go down to Belize, it's about 600 bucks for the boat, the captain, you know, the whole thing. Right. So you're, you're talking. And if you're fly fishing, you're probably one, maybe two of you in that boat just because, you know, the flies yeah. are flying around. Whereas if they go out uh, trolling for mackerel, we got four guys in the boat suddenly. It changes the, dyna- sure. the, the dynamics at all. But, yeah, the fly fishermen, you know, they're going to want to go out and do that. Um, tarpon, they will do both spin casting for and fly fishing, kind of depending on how good you are at different things. Yeah. I haven't caught one of those yet either, or bonefish for that matter. Yeah, I mean, the tarpon, you know, you catch one of those things, it's like 90 pounds, and you got that musky moment, you're trying to figure out, how do I hold this in the pitcher? And the, yeah. the pitchers are fun of the tarpon. Jump they're, in. They're, they're just, <laughs> yeah, right, they're jumping in, they're trying to figure out how to get the whole thing. Um, and then the permit, you, know, you talk to the guys on the permit, they go out in the flats and they pull. Okay, so they're pulling through, and the guys go up on the platform, and they're spotting, and he's calling where the permit are. 
And a good day of permit fishing is you probably got four tries. Oh, wow. Right? I mean, it's the same thing. You're out there going, to think, do you get four tries? See one. And the guides, that's their job. Mm-hmm. And, and the frustrating part is you talk to the guides, are you get terrible fishermen down there. And they get their four chances, and they cast. They're eight feet off they and they cast, it, yeah. and it spooks. Permit spooks so quickly. Which is why you have to pull for them because the trolling motor is oh, yeah. too much. No, it's way too loud. And you got to land it right, uh, pretty close to them, just a little bit off to the side. I let it drop and pull it, and then they're going to go after it. But it's a great fish to catch. A lot of fun, a lot of fight, beautiful fish. Uh, one of the great difficulties of the world to catch is a permit. Tarpon and permit are both very seasonal, though. You get people show up in November and they want to catch permit, and I just laugh at you're it. You're like, yeah, it's not going to happen. No. you got to wait for March and April. <laughs> I mean, you're going to get certain things. Tarpon, you know, again, they're on a migratory pattern. Mm-hmm. They come certain times of year. Bone fishing, get them most of the season sort of thing. But, yeah, it just depends on the fish. Right. And fishermen change based on what they fish for. Is there a redfish down there at all? Not really, no. I don't think so. I was I, I never really heard of any redfish, but it. They share so many of the other fish, like with Florida, jacks, snook, permit, bonefish, tarpon. You know, they're like so many similar things. You're like, well, I wonder if the reds do get down there, but they must just not no. cross the gulf to get there. If you ever go down there fishing, what you got to do is you've got to do different types of fishing and try some local fishing. So people don't really think about it. You know, what are the locals fishing part of the – they fish for machaca. Okay, that's what they call it in, in mine at least, and, you know, they're – they're about 12 inches, and they look like a big, kind of like a big sunfish. Yeah, thing. I think they're mine cichlids, what that picture looked like to Probably. me. Probably. What we would call them. Yeah, I don't I know. Think. In the village, they call them machacas. That's what I call them. That's all I know. Well, they eat fruit. Okay. Oh, oh, it's like a paku? They're, kind of, sort of? Yeah, they're more like a paku, yeah. Okay. So the, you can't do it normal, but that's what they're fishing for. And you go out with one of the locals, and we have a guy who takes people out. He does the river fishing for them, and... You know, you take this little piece of fruit and you flip them under the trees and you're trying to get them to come up at it yeah. and everything. And it's it's, That'd be super it's fun. fun. And they hand line a lot for different things as well. Okay. And so our guess when we do that, that's what we try to do is, is introduce some different types of fishing and things they're not going to normally see with that. Is there some catfish in the Yes. River? Oh, yeah. we got catfish. That'd be fun. There. So, yeah, we have people who try to catch those off the dock. <laughs> that, oh, I mean, I'm thinking in my head, you think of like the Amazon and stuff as like just massive massive catfish down there so i don't know if like Belize yeah, had pretty big ones kind of the same we thing. have no peacock bass before you ask that one oh. sorry uh, that's more costa rica i think well no they're in brazil too i think got them all yeah. over all over central and south america but but not near river waves. not our river mm-hmm. that's a money fish there you know if you have that one because you can sell a lot of trips of peacock bass <laughs> maybe some bucket biology needs no i'm just kidding yeah. <laughs> i am not i am not proponent of of dumping fish in where they don't belong Kind of crazy. I wonder what the. It must not be connected to. The other waterways. I wonder if that's no. It comes out of a mountain. The, that must be the other reason that like the crocodiles aren't getting in there. Like if there's no. We're we're not connected to any other tributaries. Point. So we come out of the mountains of Guatemala. I mean we're only 20 miles from the Guatemala border where we are. Okay. And they got some pretty serious mountains there. So it starts out a very small stream. By the time it ends up with us, it's a pretty good river. But the river, even for us, we're not. There's no current really. It's uh, 30 feet deep in the middle. And almost no current. That's why it's oh, good wow. for swimming. We, my kids will sometimes they're, I don't know, you know, things kids do. They throw a leaf and then they time it from one point to their point, how long it takes. And if it's you know takes ninety seconds to move twelve feet, they decide they can swim. Sure. <laughs> so yeah, my son, he's five. He learned to swim this winter. Kind of surprised. That's exciting. He got tired of watching everyone else. He's like, well, how do we do this? So we he can swim kind of a 
dog paddle slash half front crawl, and he swung his back pretty good. But hey, he got tired of watching everyone else. So, well, that's whatever your motivation is. Yeah, unlike here, matter. you know, here the kids learn to swim. They can walk out a ways and stand waist deep and get used to not there. It's it's straight drop off into river. So right. you got to swim. How's yeah. the summer going up here? Uh, very busy, very very busy. Uh, we've been sold out more or less since Memorial Day. Awesome. Um, this will be our fifth year in a row being sold out. So the first two years were very, very difficult. Uh, I don't know how we made that mortgage looking back on it the first <laughs> two years now. <laughs> but the last five have been very good. And unlike last year, we kind of an idea of how the pandemic affects things. I mean, last year was such upheaval constantly. We would get cancellations, and then we'd have people calling the day that was canceled. I heard you had a cabin open. It was so much Crazy, upheaval. Yeah. But this year is a little more steady. People know nobody who has a booking wants to cancel because they know they'll never get their spot back right. in. And, uh, yeah, very, very busy. The docks have been busy, boats. That is the downside as well. I am praying and hoping Canada opens soon and stays open. Sounds like it's open, right? Or they, They've announced August 9th. Okay, August 9th. But there's that asterisk on it that says depending on what, you know, there's the, they have yeah. a way out if they don't like how uh, COVID's doing in the U.S. Oh, they do have a back door open. Variant. Yeah, right. So variant now. So where I personally am hoping that it opens because I would like to see a little less boat traffic on the lake. I've noticed that there's... It was, it, I have noticed this year it's been busier than normal. Yeah, well, you, you can only go so far north right now. Right. So they're coming up to here yeah. and they're fishing. Yeah. And a lot more of your local traffic who usually has a lake coach over the side of Canada, wherever they know how to get to there, they can't. Mm. And so, you know, you, you look at a... At a DNR map finder, whatever, and you can figure out the fishing ratings. So, non Pelican's one of the highest rated lakes in all of Minnesota. It is like the highest rated fishery here in this section. So, if they're going to pick a spot, they're coming, they're coming here. here. Yeah. I mean, they're not wrong. It's a great lake. It's a great lake. But we had a really awesome incidental catch last night. We're fishing for bass, and um, Peyton, my nephew's girlfriend, is up here visiting from South Carolina. And, you know, she's she's getting bass here and there and she sets the hook in this one i look over and i just see this giant mouth and i was like my first thought was bass but it was huge i was like that's like a seven pound bass i got excited i ran over there and then it surfaced again i'm like that's a freaking huge walleye <laughs> like yeah. oh my gosh so we grab it put it on the it was 28 inches and like we off on a bass jig like just big brush jig with the crayfish trailer on it and like i don't know so water. it's funny because, <laughs> you know, I talk to people like you and you, you love the bass fishing here and you're like, well, I'm worried that too many people are finding out. So we have, you know, a certain amount of our clientele are walleye fishermen. They're doing the same problem right now. The more boats come up here, the more people are learning that how good of walleyes mm -hmm. here in Pelican Lake. We're not the numbers lake. You're not going to go through and catch 20 eaters. It's not going to happen. Right. Um, pound for pound, though, you'll probably put as much weight in your get boat. Bigger as you ones. Because we get the bigger ones. So... We're on track this year, and, and I have a book of photos from every year we've been here, and we're on track to have 10 30-inch walleye caught this year by guests. That's not bad. So last year we had three 32s. The year before we had four <sighs> 32s, right? Um, it, it happens. 32 yeah. is an absolute giant. I, know. I haven't done it yet personally. 29 I, and a quarter. She caught one bigger. I'm 27 and a half. That's my, but I yeah. don't fish for them either, but, I mean, that's still – I'm at 29 and a quarter, and here's the problem, Dale, is I told my wife years ago, I don't know, some moment I was telling her what real 
trophies are like. Because, again, in my line of work, people come in and they say, look at this huge fish. My answer is, wow, what a beautiful fish. Right. I never no tell it you <laughs> it's a dink, right? Because right. Right. they just kills them on it. So they well, come trophies in. trophies in the eye of the beholder. Oh, yeah, If it's yeah. a trophy to you, it's a trophy. Doesn't that be a trophy yeah. to me? And we have people. on my wall. We have people come in with, you know, they, they have this picture of this 16-inch smallmouth. They say, it's just so sad I couldn't keep it. I was going to put it on a wall. I'm like a 16-inch bastard. You don't put that on a wall, man. But hey, I don't say that to them. Right. I just say, that's a really nice fish. I'll bet it's bigger next year, right? So they come in with all these different sizes. So at some point I told my wife that you don't put a walleye on the wall that's just 30 inches. That's, that's my mark. Yeah, well, I'm at 29 and a quarter, and I don't have it on the <laughs> wall. And she brings this up every once in a while because I – I almost ordered a replica. My t- I took all the measurements of the 29 and a quarter, and it was, you know, like 11. That's a big fish. Oh, yeah, it was 11 and a half pounds. Yeah. It, was, it was fat, healthy, beautiful no, so this fish. This one was kind of skinny. It was only six, about six and a half pounds okay, for yeah. a 28-inch Right, that's a that's, pretty skinny one, yeah. That's pretty skinny. And there's a huge variation of that, too. People don't realize that they look at the length of a fish and say, oh, well, here's, l- no. You know, there's a big variation of how fat it is. The one I caught was a big old fish. And I wanted to put on the wall because, hey, we have a fishing lodge. We need some different fish, and I want people to talk when they come in. And mm-hmm. she says, nope, not 30. <laughs> like some. Yeah. <laughs> had so, to open your big mouth. Yeah, you? I had this one time say, And I've, it's always my goal is getting that 30. Yeah, I think I think you're not alone. I think that's kind of, for at least Minnesotans, we have in our head, like, 30, that's the trope. You know, yeah. that's like the size. 40 for, like, a pike. Yeah. 50 or now it's. I think bumped up to like 55 for a muskie. Muskie, yeah. Because the 20 on your bass, that's what everyone's 20, talking about. 20 is right? in bass. I got I got some over that. I yep. got, so so far the biggest bass this trip is 19 and a half. Yeah. Yeah, every summer um, I catch multiple 20s in the bass. I uh, Every year I catch a couple 27 walleyes. I've got, in the last couple of years, I've got a couple 28s as well. And I just, I keep seeing these 30s because people usually bring them and they want me to help measure it. And right. And whatnot. And I don't love that bringing it in because you put a walleye in a live well is just not good for it. No. But when they're that big, they want to get those measurements exact. And yep. I think almost all of them we've gotten released pretty well out there. Good. Back, so that's good. But yeah, we do see those big walleyes now, and they are stalking the lake. They well, are good. doing quite a bit of work on that. The DNR does give the report every year. Um, I go to those meetings when they give those, and so the walleye population is doing well. But the guys fish walleye don't want anyone to know that. <laughs> Same. I remember I got. I probably told you the story, but I, when. I first kind of started talking about this lake on social media, and I had some guy private message me, basically telling me to shut the hell up. Yeah. And it turns out he's not even from here. He, like, lives in Duluth, and he'll bring people. Like, he's a business person, so when he has, like, big clientele or whatever, they'll he'll bring them out here to show them off, you know, big bass, fishing, and everything else. And then I'm like... Get out of here, dude. You're not even from the area. So <laughs> I have a neighbor. I have a neighbor. He's been coming up for 50-some years. He used to be a guest at our resort. He ended up buying a cabin from them, you know, 30 years ago, broke it away, property, so he could be here all summer long. It's kind of funny because our first couple of years here, he would never talk to me about fishing. He refused to take me out fishing. I said, hey, we should go together and come on my boat. Nope, wouldn't do it. And he always told me, if I take you fishing and you learn, you're going to tell everybody. Well, that's kind of my job. Stay at the right. resort. I mean, you're not wrong. You check in. <laughs> you ask if you can look at a map. I'll look at a map with you and, you know, give you some ideas where to go, some pointers, maybe some colors, some depths. And, and the thing about fishing is that when you catch a big fish, you want to brag. So people come in, and they're going to tell me if they got a good fish. Right. It's not hard to get the information no. out. They were like, oh, I was there, and the wind was coming a little out of the west, and I just thought, you know, there's that one log over here, and I just had to make that one more. They tell me the whole story. Oh, yeah. So I, I do know, and he was worried I'd be telling everyone else. Well, the funny thing is, is that now he knows I know tons about the lake because how much people tell me, and 
because I have these two awesome boys who want to go fishing. So every other week I take one of them fishing. And it's been really good for me to be fishing again. As yeah, a resort sure. owner, you give that up a lot of times. Right. But now my boys, my wife and I decided a few years ago that you know, they're important and they mm-hmm. love fishing. And so I need to be dad too. So we go fishing. So the other day he came to me and he said, hey, what do you think about going fishing together? And I kind of chuckled. I thought, oh, see how the tables are turned? No, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he does get upset when he, you know, he sees people coming up here too much. And I understand. I get it. I, I do get I it. Get one, so I had a little bit of that this week when I started seeing more boats. And I was like, have had a little moment. I'm like, maybe I don't need to promote this lake as much as I have been. And then I was like, you know what? As far as the bass fishing goes, I'm really not that concerned because most people that are going to come here for bass are going to be catch and release fishermen for the most part. And we do have the protective slot right. up here anyways. And I actually caught so far this week quite a few fish that had healed over catch wounds like on their mouth and stuff. It's like, well, I and the size structure is still there, so I'm not too worried about yeah, it. Yeah, it's like, very it's healthy. It's going to be fine. It's very healthy. Yeah, I do worry about the numbers on the pan fish, particularly in the fall when they're so vulnerable. Yeah, you get I'd out there in that deep hole and you see so many boats there. Um, I do worry about that. I have spoken to the DNR about it a couple times by the chance, and I suggested that they close off part of that lake during those times. Um, but, hey, I'm just I wondering. That would be a, that, the closing off part of the lake would probably be a hard sell. Oh, yeah, very um, But they've done it in other lakes. They'll I put buoys out and you can't I wouldn't go. mind just a restricted harvest. Yeah, you know, that's dropping, dropping, and they did it to a bunch of different lakes in the state, trying to upgrade the size. They, I think, they dropped like the limit down to ten, but more so than numbers wise, I'd like to see almost like a slot for bluegills. Yeah, you know, bluegill and the crappie. You, you get like an eight and a half inch. That's a great size to keep, in my opinion. Like anything above that, especially nine, nine and above. That's you. You gotta let that one go. Yeah, that one should not hit a hit a flay board, and a crappie, twelve inch top max 11 is kind of like mine 11's a perfect size eating crappie perfect anything over that goes back yeah uh, people i mean it's well they've done studies on hunters right they have these ideas of how hunters will evolve over time well i think the same thing applies to fishermen so you get these early stage fishermen they come in and you, you talk to them and you say well what, what you doing this weekend what you here it's like oh i'm going fishing my grandpa's taking me fishing okay success is all based upon what they go fishing with grandpa or mm-hmm. with their dad and they're excited they go out fish they come back how was your day it was great we caught a couple fish mm-hmm. that, that's it so then you get to stage two of, the, of this of this idea here and they're in the kill stage and success is based on whether or not they kill something what are you gonna do this weekend i'm gonna go fishing we're gonna catch some walleye we're gonna eat okay right. they come out how was your fishing day oh it's terrible yeah, we uh don't we, want limits. we only caught two no limits the third stage yeah. oh, the first, oh i'm jumping the, ahead of the yeah, game yeah you're here. jumping ahead here so the, the second stage <laughs> is just want to go catch i want to kill something and eat it the third stage is the limiting stage how was your day it was good we only got five eaters we we're gonna plenty for our food but we didn't get our limits so therefore the day was terrible okay and i see a lot of this you know people come up and they they base their whole success upon how much fish they take home with them right Okay, and it says limiting out, did I fill my freezer? The fourth stage becomes a specialized stage where you see them come in. What are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm going to go bass fishing. We're doing topwater. I'm going musky fishing. We're going to try to catch one. We're going to go out. We're going to look for a giant walleye. They're specialized into something, mostly catch and release now. Okay, and then the fifth stage is the full circle. What are you doing this week? I'm taking my grandson fishing. We're going to have a great time. Success was based upon you know the relationship, spending time, right, sharing. How much that. fun they had. How much fun they had. You brought out there. And, and I see them over time. And having done this, you know, I'm almost twenty. I guess I'm 21 summers now. Where most of my summers, the last 21 years, have been on a lake in Minnesota. Okay. And I've seen this. I've seen people move through it. 
and I think I've helped some of my guests slowly move through because they bring fish and I have to ask right. them, really, do you want to do it? That's a female. That's a larger one. What do you think we put it back? And, and you walk them through, explain it, and you do see some evolution here. Uh, we need to see more of that evolution, more yeah. of that understanding of it. So you have the state rule on walleye, you know, and you can only keep one over a certain size and everything. And why? And they love asking me that question. I love hearing the question. Right. And I explain to them how many females of walleye get to a certain size as opposed to males do. And all your fish, your biggest fish are going to be your female all fish. Female. And, and so protect them. And once yep. they understand, they usually move through, but we don't teach the why. Right, and I think we just need to do a better job of that early on like as grandpa's taking the kid out i mean that's the time to start with the inception like start putting that conservation mind in them right away so even when they hit to the kill stage it's like and that's fine knowing that that's a normal stage of your evolution as an angler or hunter or whatever but still have that tied to we're gonna go out we're gonna catch fish we're gonna kill some fish and eat some fish but they're gonna fall in between here and here right because we like catching big ones right right well yeah yeah i catch the big ones well you only get big ones Right. If you let some of those, you've got eating size, you've got breeding size. I mean, you got to understand it. And I think it starts early. So at our resort here at Birch Forest, we make it so our docks are catch and release only. And I think that's been an interesting thing to work with on the kids. So people come in. You know how it goes. They they bring in uh, four bluegill, and then they realize, oh, do I really want to clean four bluegill? So what do they do? They're swimming around healthy. They dump them in the lake. So we end up with a ton of bluegill under the dock at all times, right? Good to know. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, and, and I take out my bait every day. I go through my worms, my leeches, anything dead. I walk around the edge of the dock, and I'm throwing it at the dock. And the kids, fish. the kids like watching it, right? They're actually, so then they end up fishing there. And I love walking around the docks every day, hearing kids giggling, and they're trying to keep track of how many fish they caught. And you're like, just yesterday, there were these two boys. I think they were 13 years old. They're sitting on the edge of the dock, and the one's like, I got another one that puts me up by four. No, I caught one. So I went and said, how many are you guys at? And the kid goes, I think it's 43 to 39. Right? That's awesome. They've caught 80 fish in the last two hours in there. They're right. laughing their heads off, okay? And they're able to keep doing that because it's easy, it's quick, right. and they're learning it's fun to catch the fish. Fishing is about the experience in a lake with someone you want to hang out with. It's not about filling a freezer. Right. I, don't, I might have told you about when they had the last slot limit meeting years ago and the, the old dude that got really mad that I tell you a story. Oh, I think you did. So there's, a, there's this old guy who comes in. Okay, So we're at the meeting with the DNR, and they're presenting the proposed slots for the lake. So you've got some of us business owners there who are wanting to protect the lake, some local people you know, and whatnot. Everyone's you know, trying to figure out where's the, the happy medium here for everybody. You want to be able to fish the lake. You want to have your freedoms, but we also need to be responsible. So they put the motion forward on the current slots. And this old guy got up, and he was really upset. He says, no, we cannot have slots in the bass. We need to kill them all. And the DNR says, goes, wait, what? We kill all the bass? And he says, when I was a kid, we used to go out here. And he was, he, he was old enough. His hand was shaking while he was talking. I remember he was leaning on this cane. He said, when I was a kid, we used to go out in the lake, and we'd fill up five-gallon buckets full of fish every day, all day. <laughs> He said, well, we'd catch so many. I had to call all my friends and all my uncles and all my cousins, and they'd bring their boats out, and they'd fill up five-gallon buckets. Everybody would come back with a five-gallon bucket full, and we did it every day. And then the one year, my dad realized we didn't have a big enough freezer, so we bought a second freezer to fill up all the fish in there. And then by the next spring, we couldn't even eat it all, so we were throwing away the old fish because we couldn't. So we'd get our five-gallon bucket full every day, and now your bass have killed all the fish. <laughs> <laughs> and we just sat there. And I thought he was joking it's at like first. you can't hear yourself right now? I, I thought he was oh totally God. kidding, like just messing with everybody. And then I realized he was dead serious. You know, and there's this idea of what is the purpose of fishing? 
Right. And which well, one? You, you summed up most of the walleye fishermen in the state. <laughs> That's what the at least the ones that blame muskies for any for any lack of quality or numbers when it comes to walleye fishing. Oh, the muskies are eating all the walleyes. The biggest threat to walleyes are people are people that fish for them. There's they there's not very many catch and release walleye anglers. They want to keep uh, a walleye. Well, I'm extreme. I guess I'm one of those people. I really wish we weren't allowed to transport fish. I don't like the idea of taking fish home. And I have mm. guests who do it. You know, they'll, they'll take mm-hmm. home a few for a friend. Someone's watching their dog, right? And it's not all criminal or anything. But I wish we just ate what we caught that day. And if you're not going to eat it that day, just throw it back. No. It, that's just me. It's my personal opinion. Yeah, I, I, mean, I know. It's great, I know. I, I mean, yeah, I don't know if I can quite get behind that. But um, as long as you just set the limits. Like, you can only – here's one thing that a lot of people mess up. And I would say – probably the vast majority of people are probably over limit right now you don't it's not like hunting like bird hunting you don't get a three-day possession limit right your possession limit is also your daily right. limit so if you have let's just for easy math let's say it is a you have let's six for bass right you have six bass you bring them home you flay them up you eat three of them you got three fillets in your freezer or six fillets you got three full fish in your freezer worth of fillets you go fishing the next day you only get three only keep three more right I know. I preach this all the time. You don't get your daily limit of six. You already have three in your possession. Right. Your possession limit Your possession limit is your possession limit, and that means you put three fish in your boat, and they're in the live well. You're done. You're done. And even even if you're, like, catch and release, like you're calling, well, I want a bigger one, the moment you grab that seventh bass, Technically, bring it in the yes. boat, you are over limit yep. by one fish. I tell this to people all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you are over limit, and a lot of people don't realize that. They got bags of panfish in their freezer from ice fishing last winter, and they're still out here catching. Their, well, how many pin, how many sunfish can we keep? Ten. Yeah. Well, what do you got in the what, what do you got in your freezer? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a problem. It. I mean, it, it's it's a mindset, and it that just starts again. That starts early on. I think yeah. you know you just got to bring people up in a conservation minded. Yeah, but that's standpoint. what we do with my boys. We go out and they, we the night with my five year old. We brought some bluegills back and we filleted them and everything. We caught some yeah. nice ones, and we had them for then. We don't put them in the freezer. I don't. That's just me. I don't put them in the freezer. We're gonna eat them fresh, and we have a good time. But we don't do that all the time. You know, it's yeah. once in a while. I mean, this trigger a lot of bass fishermen, but and as a bass fisherman, but this is the one time here like I will keep bass, and I keep those small ones, like twelve inches, to feed. You know, we have a little fish fry. Nobody brings fish home. Just like like we have, we keep enough for like where are we at? We need to go on a meat run. Let's go on a meat run, and we'll also catch bluegills, and we'll go for crappies and stuff like that. But in the meantime, if we do catch a smaller bass. See, I had this. I had this group last week, and this is, I guess, opposing idea here. I had this group last week. Came in, they wanted to know where a bunch of twelve and thirteen inch bass I could have dinner, and it's a group that's been coming for years, and they spent some good money. And I said, I don't know. I'm not gonna tell you. <laughs> you're not I'm not. I'm not. If you're gonna eat a bass, I'm not telling you. <laughs> and I'm I'm really forthcoming with information usually, but once he told me I was gonna eat bass, I said, Nope. <laughs> I don't mind it because they are a sunfish in the sunfish family. They reproduce very well, and those younger ones, I mean, they're getting eaten by pike yeah it's not it's definitely getting eaten by it's, a, pike. it's a numbers game so they spawn well they have a lot of young most of those young don't make it right once you kind of get past that 14 15 inch stage those ones aren't going anywhere right no, nothing's eating those anymore outside the rare eagle or yeah really big pike or something like that um don't really mind keeping a few bass here and there but small ones they have to be the small ones like 12, 13 inch. That's that's pretty much it. Even though you can keep them up to fourteen, it's like I wouldn't keep. Yeah, 14. my son was out with somebody, and uh, 
they they kept some bass a couple years ago. It said something about, well, you want to bring a couple home? And he goes, you don't know my dad. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not doing that. (laughs) Yeah, this literally is the one time a year I keep bass. That's it. And most, and we don't even keep that many because when we go to catch fish to eat, it will be crappies or bluegills. But yeah. while the, we're doing that, if we catch a couple little bass, they go in the box too. I've been surprised this year of how well the crappie bite is still going at this time of the summer. Yeah, you can still find them. Usually dog days, it's, it's getting more tough. But um, And there's been leeches for most of my guests lately. Um, but they're still catching the crappie here. We are in late July. I've been really pleased with it. Yeah, I'm catching them, catch, catch them on plastic. It's plastic um, tube baits. Yeah. Fish around down trees and... And, and cabbage down in deep cabbage, and you gotta let it let it, you go, let it go all down. the way down, all the way down. They're hiding at the very bottom. Yeah, and sometimes they'll come rocketing out and smash it like a northern. But usually you gotta get way down in there. And I like to kind of sight fish for them. You're not really you're not really seeing them, but you get a, like a high vis bait. Like I'm using a black tube with like a chartreuse tail on sure. it. Sure, I can see it. I got polarized glasses, I can see it just fine. I flip it out in these pockets of the cabbage, and I'm just watching that thing fall. When it disappears set the hook because oftentimes you don't even feel the bite it's like when that tube disappears something ate it <laughs> and oh there's another crappie or a rock bass a lot of rock bass. a lot of rock bass <laughs> but they taste good too <laughs> i don't mind them i took in fact i took a picture i cleaned them up here and i took a picture of them laid them right next there's no worms just beautiful white piece of white flesh ain't nothing wrong with them i love them they're good taste awesome well they taste as good as any other panfish which People that listen to this show know I harp on this all the time, which really don't taste like anything. It tastes <laughs> like what you bred it in. Right. It's if your we're, beer if batter. we're being honest. It's, like, it's <laughs> your beer batter. Yeah. It's it's not like salmon or trout or tuna, sure. something, that, even like a mackerel, something that has a little more, its own flavor. It's not, it's very benign. Right. <laughs> like right. whatever you bred it in, that's what it's going to taste like. Right. <laughs> the, down, I'm going to switch gears back to salt water before we wrap this up, but they, um, you do, do they get like a smoked fish dip with the mackerel? I know a lot of people do that in florida uh we don't i said the mackerel steak is the big one we'll do um and there's this name for i can't remember they uh they burn oh it's this black sauce shoot if i was there i'd have my chef to ask don't remember the name of it but no i haven't seen and and i've been hearing that about barracuda like a lot like most people in america won't eat a barracuda but we took a charter out in Florida one time, and we caught one, and the, the boat kept it. They're like, we like to give this to the Dominicans. They love it. And there was a guy in the boat or at the dock waiting, and they, big whatever it was. Oh, they're 30, big. Mid-30s Barracudas. Barracuda, oh, yeah. and that guy was happy as pigs and shit to get yeah. it. And uh, I don't know what they do with it. Probably cover it in peppers and hot sauce and everything else. But Yeah, we tell them if the Barracuda is over about 15 pounds, we don't eat it usually. Selling it from about 8 to 15 is what we're looking for. 8 to 12 is about perfect. And they're just staking that? Uh, we'll flay it. Okay. You can flay it normally. Uh, we, we'll chunk them into steaks as well sometimes, but it depends. I like Are the barracuda. Are they bony? Are they like no, 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 not overly. I mean, the mackerel is really bony. Um, they got a different backbone structure. And I haven't eaten any shark either. I need to just start like trying some things. When I go down to, like, in South Carolina, we catch a ton of bonnet heads, a ton of Atlantic sharp nose. Like, they're everywhere, and those are the ones you can actually keep. Never ate one. Just like try it. It's one of those things you hear people like, oh, they don't taste that good. But then you'll hear somebody else like, they're actually pretty good. I think a lot of depends on how you prepare things. Like so, we have a really good chef down there. The trouble we have with people when they go out is convincing them you don't need to bring back that much. Right. 
And so when you get out there and you catch a 15-pound barracuda... It's a lot of meat. It's a lot of meat. <laughs> and, and I always try to have a conversation before they go. I said, look, there's uh, eight people staying here at the moment. There's two of you going to go out. And this is all pandemic numbers. So we're you know, only eight people. Sure, 35 sure. you should have. So there's going to be eight people at dinner. We're all happy to eat your fish. But if you bring in more than two fish, what do we do with the third one? Right. And they get the... Well, I don't know. I'm like, look, just... And so I always tell the guides. Yeah, you're not taking it home with you. You're not... You can't. You're right. <laughs> and they always ask, what about shipping it home? <laughs> you don't ship fish home from a third world country. <laughs> not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we, we tell them, just, you know, you need like one... Try two fish species. And bring those home, catch a bunch, and let them go. So... And you're cooking just the catch of the day. Like, is it like what your clients catch? That's what you serve in the restaurant yeah, that yeah. night? So uh, oftentimes, if they're going to go fishing, we block off the menu that night. You know, we do a lot of other things, a lot of uh, pork. Pork and chicken are very common dishes down there. Personally, I'm not a big beef fan in Central America. I don't like those warm temperatures and that kind of grass. The beef, I think, is just too tough. Um, a lot of shrimp mills, too, we do down yeah. there. But, uh, yeah, we do a lot of different types of fish. I think they've got a are there Are there, like, Shrimp boats and stuff. Are you getting any shrimp, anything like that? No, no, not quite any, like that. Any locals putting out crab pots, nothing like yeah, that? Yeah, sometimes you'll okay. find stuff. And then, of course, you have your lobster when it's in season and things. Oh, sure. When is the season for lobster down there? Um, I want to say it is August through Feb- August 15th through February 15th, I believe. Oh, wow. That's a pretty long stretch. So I know, like, in Florida, it's, like, super restrictive. Like, super restrictive. And depending on the county in Florida too, there's yeah, it's like open for two weeks, and then there's one time it's only open for like a weekend, and like yeah, you have an early season. That you have to book your hotels right now for like next year. Like it's a big, big like people flock there for that, like crazy, and they bust people illegally, like off season, like taking lobsters all the time. Yeah, conch is another thing they you know they'll harvest down there. That'd be cool. Spear fishing starting. Is there any? There's some spear fishing. Yeah. Do that. That coming around. That's really starting to gain in popularity all over. The locals all do that. Um, They're funny because they do it at night, right? And they'll get in the rivers and things. God, that'd be. Yeah. So we had we had an issue. Test of. Yeah, I know, right? You can only see where your light is. I've done it before, and uh, I think it was last year we had some guys who were spear fishing off one of our docks, and the next day. One of them's wife or something said, was was Adam upset because they could see me watching him? And Casey says, upset. The only reason I'm upset is you guys didn't invite him to go with you. <laughs> so, yeah, I was, like, I was waiting for one of them to say, hey, you want to? Yeah. Yes. I'm, I'm an yes, outsider do. down there, so I have to be very careful right, jumping not, in. I'm not going to. Right, right, right. So, hey, guys, right. I'm coming with you because it's, it's you're trying to balance a lot of things down there. Sure. That would be a lot of fun. I'd like to get down there. Well, people should give Adam, give everybody all they can track you down. Is, do you have a separate website for Cotton Tree Lodge? Yeah, yeah. It's CottonTreeLodge.com. So uh, the Cotton Tree is the largest, tallest tree in Central America. It's in the Kapok family. So it's massive. The one we have on our property at the entrance is 145 feet tall. Wow. Yeah. We have our cell phone booster because, you know, although there's not cell phone coverage down there, we put one in because people want, people it. want it. Want it. So anyway, we went up in the tree. 106 feet high into the tree and put a little booster uh, oh, wow. satellite dish in there. It was me in that tree, <laughs> by the way. Uh, there's certain things you can't ask someone else to do. I was like, that sounds like work. You can get in trouble for that. Yeah, well, nobody <laughs> wanted to do that job. So I went up in the tree. I think I've done it three times now. It's pretty. It's freaky scary up there. You can see forever, though. That's you're above, cool. You're above the canopy. So anyway, CottonTreeLodge.com. Oh, uh, we do have some fishing packages on our website if you look at it and see it. Uh, we have a $4,500 all-inclusive fishing package that's for two people what that would include would be 
It's a seven night stay. It's all your food. It's your lodging. It's one day of guided ocean fishing with the boat and the captain and everything. One day of guided river fishing, boat and captain and everything. And then the other days you're choosing tours, you know, Mayan ruins or waterfalls or chocolate making or whatever. Like I said, that's for two people. So. Is there any DIY? Can they just rent a boat and kind of do you their own thing? You nope. can't. Nope. You have to have a okay. captain's license in Belize. Again, I think it's more of a job protection. Th- I sure, don't know, but sure. they uh, nope, you can't just do that in Belize. So Belize, so Belize captain's license, or if you have a captain's license in the states, would that apply? That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that one. Nobody's asked me that I yet. I know, so I'm gonna have one here in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they uh, w- good luck trying to find a boat to rent because you think of capitalism True. the way it works. Yeah, if they right. don't rent boats to people, well, it doesn't really matter, I guess. Right, so. right. They could. Nip that in the boat pretty easy. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not renting your boat. What are you going to do? <laughs> but uh, So, yeah, you can check us out there. We can set you up with a fishing trip. And uh, it's a nice trip because if your wife or your girlfriend or your friend isn't really big in fishing, but you want to go try a little saltwater fishing, different things, or jungle fishing, come down. You're fishing two days. If you want to fish a third, you can add on, you know, a la carte sort of thing. But a lot of people like to come down, and they can try a few different things and do a little bit of fishing and have a fish a couple nights. So it's pretty fun. Yeah, if I'm coming down there for seven days, I'm, I want to fish seven days. <laughs> That's how this is going to go. You're going to be sunburned. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> they so make sunscreen for a reason. Yeah, you get out there. Yeah, and uh, I have long sleeve shirts. I got. We can make this happen. Yeah, you can fish bonefish <laughs> one day and uh, barracuda one day and mackerel one day and snook one day. and Because yeah. all those fish are different. Okay, you're going to be oh, fishing. Oh, yeah, for sure. Snook, you want you know moving water. Your tides will be changing. You want dirty water. You know, permit and tarpon, you want really clean water. Unless, well, actually tarpon can be in dirty at certain times of year as well. And, uh, you know, your barracudas are in very clean water off sandy beaches where there's a reef nearby. And oh, so how are the reef systems? Like, is there g- Gorgeous. I'm guessing really good diving out there. Really good snorkeling <laughs> diving out there. Um, is there any wrecks? No, not, not really. really. So, I mean, the reef structure there in Belize, okay, that reef is the second largest barrier reef in the world. Only the Australian barrier reef is larger. So it goes oh. all the way from south of Honduras all the way past Cancun, right? And the edge of it is 40 miles offshore from us. So it's way out wow, there. So getting any reefs, huge. it's huge reef. And for us, we're down in a part of Belize that's almost no people. We're very remote area. They call it the forgotten part of Belize. You know, it's not Placencia. It's not uh, San Pedro. It's not Key Calker. It's not the Cayo. Those are all big names in Belize. Toledo District and Punta Gorda is just, you know, it's the undiscovered part of Belize still, which we like. Yeah, it's cool. And uh, it's it's much smaller operation, so the reefs are really good shape. And we take people out snorkeling in a place called Snake Keys. See, you wouldn't be fishing every day. One day you'd be snorkeling. I probably would, Sean. I do yeah. like to snorkel. And uh, you get out there and you're swimming with beautiful sea fans, great types of corals, lots of fish, and it's, and it's just gorgeous water. Yeah, it'll be fun. I do like to snorkel. We I have, what I need to do is I need to learn how to scuba dive. What, well, what I really like to what do. we would do with someone like yourself is I'd have to convince you to split your trip. You'd do like three nights on an island. We have a guy we work with as an island. You spend three nights on the island, so you're out that there 30 miles offshore, right? And you're on the edge of the reef, and you can go deep sea one day. Oh, you, you don't have you, I'm already convinced. And then that's you come a, in for an three, easy sell. You come in with us for three nights, and <laughs> um, yeah, then you're doing more of the inland stuff. But uh, That'd be an easy sell. But I've never, I mean, I've done some fair amount of saltwater stuff, but I've never done, like, the jungle river things. I would for sure like to give that a try. That'd be, I've never seen a wild monkey, so, I mean, that part would be cool, too. Yeah, the seeing it is... is it's almost a letdown if you heard them because they'll go off sometimes at 2 o'clock in the morning. So you're asleep in your cabana, and all of a sudden you hear this growling, howling, crazy, scary noise. It wakes you up. It's deafening. Um, I sleep through it now because I'm used to it. But your first day, you're like, what is going on? Sasquatch. Is that a dinosaur <laughs> going through the jungle? And you start 
in your mind starts playing tricks. This is pitch black. Yeah. Oh, uh, unless the moon's out. Super so dark. Super dark. But even if the moon's out and you're in a, under a jungle canopy, like, oh yeah, how much light is getting? It's not there? a lot of light, no. and so you can hear these monkeys out there, and they sound huge. And then when we take you on the tour, where you actually go see them, you realize how small they are. <laughs> it's 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 pretty funny reaction. That would so. be pretty cool. That would be a lot of fun. It looks like a neat place. It's beautiful. I, if anybody's just go on there, if you want to just do a, a virtual tour, go to Cotton Tree Lodge com and look at some of the pictures it's gorgeous yeah we there. got a little video i made with my cell phone um and you'll see my son catches a pretty decent uh 14 pound barracuda on the video and i catch a nice. uh, uh it was a 16 pound jack crevalli on the video that's a and, good one uh, that's huge, a good jack huge fish god and they fight so good well and then the jacks like the day we were doing that fishing uh i hooked up with the one first and we we're, were actually throwing hj12s you know, Rapala mm-hmm. husky jerks. <laughs> and it's funny, the guy hands me these to tie on. I look at it, I'm like, okay, well, here's a clown. I look over at him, and he's got the black and gold, you know, the one we use for walleye and things. And okay, so we throw them out there, and it hit mine. And next thing I know, I could feel my line going back and forth because they were trying to take it out of its <laughs> mouth. And as so I tell my son, <laughs> cast over there. And the guy's yelling, cast. Everybody cast the same spot. So, wife, Casey cast over. Brock, my son, he casts over. And next thing we had triple. All three of us have one on. And then you're trying not to cross lines. Right. You're trying to pull yeah. them apart from each other. Oh, this point. Yeah. That's, that's, that we got them tough. all in the boat. And it, you know, it's, it's so much fun. But your forearms are burning. Oh, I bet. You know, we all think smallmouth fight like crazy. Oh, oh catch a 12-pound, 15-pound Jack Rabali. I was explaining this to Peyton who caught that wall yesterday. It's like, you know, people like the smallmouth bass. Generally, if you ask a bass fisherman which one they would rather catch, they're going to say smallmouth every time. They fight so much better. And I don't know if it's because – Everything eats crayfish up here. Somehow that that changes like their attitude. But the the largemouth up here fight yeah just like smallmouth. They have an attitude like they're just angry. Yeah, and I don't, it has to be because they're eating crayfish. Could be. I don't know what else. I don't know what else causes it because you know down by the cities they're feeding on bluegills a lot. I mean that's where you find them. We, that's one of the ways you find you you find your pattern for the days. Find where the bluegills are. Sure. That's where the bass are going to be up here. You want rocks and weeds. Just yep. That, and Where they every, meet. And, and you catch one, and they're pooping out a crayfish. They either yeah. spit one up or they're pooping, pooping one out. Like, yeah. crayfish is king up here. It's what yep. they eat. And I, it's as good of a theory as any. <laughs> but sure. Because they're just angry. You catch one, and they just they, they dig in just like the smallies do. Uh, honestly, I can't tell the difference when I hook one. Like, it's they fight exactly the yeah, same. Yeah, I don't here. know until I get them in the boat what it's going to be until I see it on those large and the small mouths up here. But you can kill on the saltwater. I mean, you, you get one on it, and it's somewhere here. If you get a barracuda on, it's going to shake like a northern. Sure. Um, your cabara snappers, I caught a monster cabara snapper two years ago. Uh, we lost it at the boat. I had oh, 50-pound no. test line, and it bent my hook straight. Oh. We got it against the boat two times. It hit the boat, <laughs> and we looked at it, and I looked over at the guide, and I know the guide a bit, and his eyes were just huge, and I said, 50 and he goes no bigger oh i said that's God. bigger than 50 pounds and he nodded and then we were trying to figure out what do we do with this fish how do you reach over i don't want to get my hand i don't know yeah, what you grab. can't lip them like how do you get they this fish teeth. in the boat <laughs> and while we were watching it it straightened my hook oh wow it went down the i never got the photo oh, and i just you know no. the, you see them on tv where they're trying to hold yeah. it against their chest yeah. and it's fly, i just so wanted that huge. one photo yeah. of me soaking wet holding this big monster i should have jumped in <laughs> it was it was twenty feet deep water. It wouldn't work. We tried catching some cabaras when we were down last time we were in the Keys, and 
I think I had a couple bites. The guide was like, that was a bite. Like The bite was like super subtle. Right. And you have to be really fast. Otherwise, they just either cut your bait in half or they spit it out. And it's right. Like, so th- that's where it gets interesting because like the Kabera is more like the walleye to me. It's a softer, subtle bite. But once they have it, they're just going down while you're trying to pull them up. You know, and then your Cavalli, your Jack, and you know, we got Horse Eye Jack and Blue Runner Jack, different things. They're more like your bass. They're hitting hard. They're going to fight. They're going to break out of the water. They're going to jump on you. Uh, your barracuda is more like So there's a lot. If you're good at freshwater fishing, you can transition pretty well into saltwater fishing. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, it's fun. I like it. Awesome. So And then uh, Birch Forest Lodge right here on Pelican Lake in Orr, Minnesota. That's, uh, is there a website for that? Or is that yeah, birchforestlodge.com. .com. And also, like, isn't there a, like a Pelican Lake? Yeah, we have the tourism. Uh, or, or Pelican Lake, Minnesota. There it is. So we have a brand new website coming out here. I think it's going to be released next week. Oh, we nice. just had a big crew in here uh, a couple weeks ago. And they did a bunch of drone footage and really nice photos and everything to bring it a little more up-to-date with current technology cool. and website stuff. So, yeah. And here on the lake, there are 11 resorts, three hotels, and the one B&B. So. And the lake is gorgeous. Oh, and the, just down the road here, the old Erickson Farm, where I lived in, is now a B&B. So if anybody wants to stay at where I grew up, you can now do that. What was it? What's it called? It's called... Uh, Something Creek Farms. Huh. Didn't know that. Look at that. Yeah. Here I live here. Yeah. A mile from where we're at right here at Northland Lodge. It's, uh, yeah, the very house I grew up in. Huh. <laughs> I will have to. We're uh, going to probably stay there next year just for, like, it would be super surreal. I'll have to ask about that. I'm on the uh, board for the resort association. I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's not technically a resort on the lake, right? It's a mile. It's on land, so it's not, it's kind of cool, but... Adam, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. This is good. And uh, hopefully we'll do it again next year. Okay. It's a pleasure. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.